Pittsburgh Steelers fans, welcome to another episode of the Steelers question and answer session. The Steelers Sunday night Q&A. This is Jeremy Betts, and I am joined by a first-time guest on the show, Bradley Locker. What's up, Bradley? Welcome to the Steelers Sunday night Q&A, man. How you doing? Doing great, Jeremy. Thanks so much for having me on. It's kind of a slow part in the NFL season. I feel like the time between OTAs and training camp, but also a good time to reflect a little bit enjoy some time away from football, but also, I mean, we, you know, we're, we're avid Steelers fans. We can't spend too much time away from the game either. So to answer all these questions in advance of training camp, for sure. Absolutely. And we were talking off screen a little bit about your um, busy schedule during the fall, uh, working with the Northwestern website, running that, I think, right. Um, mm-hmm. You're kind of the, the editor in chief over there. That's awesome. And I'm sure some great experience and uh, getting to work with, uh, with, Northwestern that way uh, you're the college you attend that's pretty cool so um, fantastic work that you do there and uh, thanks for joining the show um, are you like me Bradley where this time of year optimism is just like you're, you're trying to just keep it down like squash <laughs> this enthusiasm a little bit so as not to get too jittery and hyped up is that how you are and you kind of like eh, prove it to me before I get excited I feel like I'm probably a little bit more in the middle. I think there definitely is a lot of optimism I have about the Steelers this year, but I know before this, I was reading your article about the AFC teams that you would take over the Steelers. And I feel like when you take a broader look at the AFC, it's a little bit daunting and the Steelers have a lot of questions to answer themselves and are counting on a lot of people to stay healthy and um, obviously had a good off season. And I think most Steelers fans, most NFL fans would agree with that. But I mean, I think I'm just always excited about football season and, and um seeing what happens and the preseason for sure. But no, there's definitely optimism, but also I think a mix of realism too. that. Okay. Well, I got to see what the Steelers look like before I can make any sort of realistic evaluations too. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Some objectivity with the whole thing is, is uh, very important. Um, You know, for me, I I think, you know, as, as a a fan that just wants my team to succeed so much, I, I just get, I just start looking at schedules and I start looking at, opponents and i'm like you know maybe they they won't be as good as some of these teams but they've got a chance to have one of the best records in the league just based on their schedule and a lot of that will depend on who rises who falls if you just look at last year's numbers obviously but um you know optimism seems to be running high for for most uh but absolutely need to (laughs) keep a check on it uh just for the emotional side of things not to get overly excited so We've got some people already in the chat. Ron Schultz getting busy in the chat here. Russ Obenstein. I'm going to say Obenstein, maybe Obenstein. And then just me. Uh, Thank you for joining us so far. We're going to have more, I'm sure. And uh, so thank you guys for joining in. Um, Bradley, I wanted to kind of drive some discussion today, see if we can't get some good questions, some good mentions, some names to bring up here. The Pittsburgh Steelers have, a, you know, a team that that many of us think with a good season can compete for something special. Maybe not a Super Bowl, but, you know, maybe they can surprise some people, get to an AFC title game. Maybe they can win this AFC North division even. I don't know what the, the ceiling is necessarily, but there are specific players uh, that matter more to this team. So, uh, Bradley, I'm going to open it up to you right now. Uh, we're going to kind of go with a, an old Dave Damashek for those who are familiar with 
the the famous Steelers fan who is a radio personality, has his own podcast, the Minus Three Podcast. Um, used to work for NFL Network. If you're famous with his Jenga pieces uh, show that he did every year, we're going to kind of focus that in on the Pittsburgh Steelers and not necessarily saying that these guys are like all going to actually be a Jenga piece, but who could be, who, who kind of rises to that level in your opinion, Bradley, we know some of the big guys. You can mention those guys if you want to and tell us why you think that is, but uh, maybe some under the radar guys as well. Who, who you got as a Jenga piece for the Pittsburgh Steelers in 2023? I mean, you touched on those uh, quote unquote un- untouchable guys that if they go down, the, then the team is pretty much doomed. And we saw that last year with TJ Watt. I mean, the 10 games that he missed, it just was not nearly the same level of defensive ferocity, the same pass rush. The entire team just had a different energy to it. So obviously TJ Watt, Minka Fitzpatrick, Cam Hayward, all those guys need to stay yeah. on the field. And, and if they do, good things are, are going to follow certainly, but Another guy on that defensive front that has been in conversations this offseason has been Alex Highsmith after his yeah. outstanding season last year, 14 and a half sacks, is in line for a big extension. And based on our own Jeff Hartman's reporting, it sounds like things are going pretty well on those fronts. But I really feel like Highsmith and Watt are such an excellent tandem, one of, if not the best, edge rushing tandems in the league. And the Steelers all offseason have been trying to add depth behind guys like Watt and Highsmith. They drafted Nick Herbig, who is actually a guy I'm pretty high on out of Wisconsin. Of the Big Ten and sacks last year has a lot of good raw traits. They brought in Marcus Golden as a, a veteran, kind of OLB3 on the team. But I feel like if one of Watt or Highsmith goes down, then that chemistry that the two of them have will shatter. The entire front seven will suffer. The defense will suffer. And there's, again, not a ton of proven depth behind a guy like Highsmith. So I feel like you really need him to stay healthy. He's not only an excellent pass rusher, a really good run stuffer, too. And I feel like we're going to continue to see him grow this year as a leader on this defense, as we know his numbers are are phenomenal. But if he can elevate it a little bit in terms of, you know, hey, the NFL is going to take notice of this guy. It's not just TJ yeah. Watt's sidekick. You have a legitimately really good all-pro caliber edge rusher. Then I feel like that's only going to do better things for the Steelers. I feel like for me, Highsmith, I don't think he's an unknown name in football circles at this point, but I feel like Steelers fans are higher on him than most other people are. But I really feel like he – is, is really crucial to the team's success this year. I agree with you there. And, you know, we do tend to, in the conversation of the, the who's really important on the defense, you do kind of overlook um, Highsmith a little bit just because of the star power along that front front line there. Cam Hayward and TJ Watt really taking up the headlines on that side of the ball for the most part. You know, so I, I would tend to agree with you there that he his presence on this defense – is kind of, you know, in coalition with or coordination with TJ Watt, these two guys draw, are the driving force of what the Steelers want to do scheme-wise on defense, which is uh, just crash pockets and create havoc up front so that the young secondary, the athletic secondary can take advantage of, of opportunities for turnovers, takeaways, and set up the offense with a short field. But you know, you take away Alex Highsmith out of this, and I, I like the fact that they brought in brought in Marcus Golden. It was looking a little more bleak before they did that um, to um, boost the the pass rush uh, at the as the third guy. But without Highsmith, you you definitely lose an edge, uh, no pun intended, on your defense um, with with his skill set. So um, Vinny says can't win without TJ Minka and Kenny. That's my big three in my opinion. I. I was going to jump in here with Kenny Pickett 
it's kind of obvious, <laughs> but um, if you were to ask uh, my podcast partner on the Steelers fix, Andrew Wilbar, he thinks that um, Mitchell Trubisky has the ability to keep the Steelers in contention, even if Kenny Pickett were to miss some time. But I think if you, if you want to take the Steelers from competitive to contender, because last year I'd say they were competitive, right? They, they, they had a coaching scheme advantage over most teams, uh, specifically uh, experience advantage in Mike Tomlin and then the defensive advantage uh, in most cases. But um, when, when you start talking about this year and taking the Steelers to the next level, Kenny Pickett has to be not, not super special, not like a, a elite, but he's, he's got to really jump it up there to a level Mitch Trubisky's never been. And if we see that, that's what takes the Steelers to new heights. If we don't see that, then, you know, he becomes a Jenga piece. You pull Kenny Pickett out, whether that's injury for a long period of time or whether that's just his performance doesn't um, take a step up, then the Steelers kind of find themselves treading water a little bit in 2023 as opposed to taking a a step forward. And that could be very important for uh, the team's success. Uh, we've got, let's see, um, I'll put Sherry Richards up here, says Larry Ogunjobi must stay healthy this year. And I, I like that. Um, I think when he is healthy, he's he's a difference maker. Um, what are your mm-hmm. thoughts, though, on, on Bradley on Larry O? Very big fan of Larry Ogunjobi. I feel like, again, on a defense that has a lot of star power, he's still really underrated. I think he was productive last year, uh, stayed healthy for the vast majority of the year, and Again, this was a high-profile guy in, in with the Bengals when he entered for agency, was in line for a lucrative deal with the Bears, and then a failed physic kind of derailed everything. So people knew Larry Ogunjobi was a force to be reckoned with and came to the Steelers, just fit in pretty seamlessly, and the Steelers were looking for guys to step up and replace Stephon Tuitt, who retired before last season, and, and Ogunjobi fit in really well with Hayward, and especially considering the Steelers didn't get a lot at nose tackle last year. When you put Ogunjobi next to Hayward, that is a really strong tandem on the inside. And then, again, you complement that with Watt and Highsmith on the outside. And we know the Steelers like to be defensive line oriented defensively. Last year when the defense didn't get pressure, the secondary would definitely wilt a little bit. There would be cracks exposed. And Steelers are hoping that will be less so this year, even though there's some transition in the back end. But I definitely agree that Owen Joby is probably one of my favorite players just because I think a lot of people – sleep on his abilities and and when you watch the tape he consistently makes a good effort and does what he's asked to do yeah i think that's a key point right there he does what he's asked to do um he doesn't overreach he he plays hard every play he's just a guy that is consistent and there's you know some people pegged him as kind of a a a pass rush specialist not really going to be helpful on on running plays but i think he showed last year that he can really be a an a a multi multiple tier player as far as um, what you ask him to do. And what I really love is that you've got Cam Hayward, Larry Ogunjobi to establish veterans with, with success in the league. And then you've got a litany of just young explosive guys beside them. And that's going to help Keanu Benton and um, and the rest of those guys that, you know, just need a shot. Um, to, to get on the field and show what they can do. When you've got that consistency beside you, then maybe DeMarvin Leal comes in and he can play a little bit more free. He can, he can play to his athleticism and his strengths because he's not having to hold the fort down. He's just out there to make plays. You know what I mean? So 
I think when you when you factor in the experience of those two guys and how they'll rotate on the field with these younger guys, I think that their importance just is is magnified here as well. Um, I wanted to bring this up because you mentioned Nick Herbig um, and being heavily involved in the Big Ten as a Northwestern student and writer here. Um, tell us a little bit about why uh, you might be like Russ here and, and think that Nick Herbig is going to surprise people. He, he uh, obviously his energy is affectious um, and, and he just, he just brings a lot as, as an edge rusher, but there have been questions about can his skill set um, transition to the NFL? Uh, tell us a little bit about why you think so and why he could su- surprise some people this year. Well, I think the first time I saw Herbig was when Wisconsin played Northwestern and in October, and it was a hideous game. I believe it was 42 to seven Wisconsin. So don't want to remember too much of the score <laughs> in that one, but I remember Herbig did have a really nice strip sack on Northwestern quarterback, Brendan Sullivan, and was working against Peter Stronsky, a first round pick for most of the game. And again, you don't really lead the big 10 in sacks by accident. And when I had the chance to break down Herbig's tape for BTSC, I really came away pretty impressed. And I think a lot of NFL draft pundits felt like Herbig was a guy that probably would have gone higher if not for some arm length measurement questions because some people thought he projected better inside because of that. But I really liked his bend, his first step, his explosiveness as an edge rusher were all really good. And those are things that kind of innate traits. You can't really coach those as well. Uh, I think what he would do better with is some polish with his rushes, Mm. um, just not showing as much to tackles, better block shedding, things like that. But again, that's why the Steelers have guys like Aaron Curry, their new outside linebackers coach. Um, and again, Carl Dunbar, a really good defensive line coach. And I feel like Herbig has the raw traits you want in a young edge rusher. He comes from a fantastic program in Wisconsin. Obviously, we know Wisconsin produces NFL edge rushers that are really good. Not only TJ Watt, JJ Watt, Zach Vaughn, even of the Saints, um, guys like that that have done well in the league. And I feel like Herbig, I don't know how much I'm going to expect of him of this year, assuming right. that Watt and Highsmith stay healthy. And I hope the Steelers keep Highsmith long-term. I think everybody wants that um, for him to be a Steeler for as long as possible based on his continued ascendance. But I do think Herbig could be a good situational, like third down sub package edge rusher. It could definitely turn some heads this year. And I think, I think he could be in line for a big preseason too. He could be kind of the Steelers preseason darling. We've seen some players like that before. So. I like that. Um, I'm excited to, to see what the Steelers training camp darling race is you know we do the isaac redmond award winner here at mm-hmm. bindthesteelcurtain.com and fans verse or i'm sorry the the steel curtain network and uh, so i'm excited to see who kind of rises up into that he's he's a, a a high-end candidate on my list as well um i wanted to kind of make the point here that i think it's it's been underrated how well the steelers have developed their own draft picks at edge rusher and you know you you think about the big names of like James Harrison, Joey Porter from the early 2000s, and even going back further. I mean, you've got you've got edge rushers for days, but then you just look at even more recent history with Jason Worlds. He developed into a really good outside linebacker. Um, uh, I think about you know obviously James Harrison, uh, undrafted player, and you know the Steelers stuck with him and and kept bringing him back and giving him opportunities and that to me that's development there as well even Bud Dupree started out a little slow but over time that development started to show and and yeah it took a, a few years but you got there Alex Highsmith again TJ Watt obviously what can they do with the with the traits Nick Herbig has I think they can do a lot so I agree with you there it's going to be fun to watch 
Here's a good question from Jeremiah Yoder. Hello, Steelers Nation. What's your take on Patrick Peterson joining Minka Fitzpatrick and Joey Porter Jr. in the secondary with Highsmith Cam and TJ Watt bolstering the line up front? I mean, this is this is a defense that could be special. We've we've seen some, you know, national media starting to take notice as well that the absence of TJ Watt was just such a stark difference in what this defense did. And I think when he came back, they were like, you know, super efficient, number one overall in, in, um, you know, points, points against and yards against when TJ Watt came back um, in the second part of the year. So what do you think, uh, um, Bradley, do you think this, this team can, can field a number one overall defense? Um, What do you think about Patrick Peterson, how he fits into this whole, whole puzzle here? I guess I'll start with Peterson. I definitely thought it was a surprising free agent signing, but Omar Khan has definitely kept all Steelers fans and writers on their toes. And that was, this was definitely that type of move. I don't think anybody thought the Steelers were going to go after a, a really aging cornerback. But the thing with Peterson is I think the age is definitely deceptive. He's going to be 33 when the season starts, but he still has a lot left in the tank. And he was pretty good for the Vikings last year, according yeah. to some stats like EPA per play and even PFF grade. He, he graded out very highly. Um, so I'm excited to see what he does. And I think it was very obvious the Steelers brought Peterson in to be a mentor to the young cornerback they were going to draft. They didn't hide it really much that they were going after a young cornerback in the draft. And everybody kind of knew they needed to do that as well. Um, so I think he's going to be the perfect mentor for Joey Porter Jr. And I was just uh, just amazed that the Steelers got Joey Porter Jr. at 32. or uh, yeah, it's, yeah, I guess 32 technically. Um, but I think Peterson should be – I'm projecting him to be the team's number one corner. I think the Steelers have a pretty solid – uh, cornerback room and secondary. I, I guess I'm a little questionable about um, the safety position next to Minka Fitzpatrick. I'm assuming it's going to be Demonte KZ. Might we see someone like Keanu Neal, who I've written about for BTSC? I think he's going to be more of a, a dime linebacker type, like the Terrell Edmonds type, but will he play in the back end? Um, but I think the question is, how does it all look? Because obviously there is a decent amount of talent on paper, but how well does the secondary gel? Are they going to switch to more of a man-based scheme with Peterson? I think it's going to be more of the zone cover three that we've seen with Terrell Austin. But I think I was a fan overall of the Peterson signing. And again, not the guy I would have figured the Steelers would have gone after, maybe more of like a Rocky Sin who ended up with the Ravens. Yeah. But I think a pleasant a pleasant surprise nonetheless. And I feel like uh, the second part about the number one overall defense, I don't know if my expectations are that high. I feel like defenses that the Steelers have had in the past, I feel like last year's on paper was maybe a little better because you had Cam Sutton, you had Devin Bush, who people thought was going to take the jump. You had Miles Jack, who people thought was going to be, again, kind of a, a nice duo with Bush. And obviously it didn't come together as the Steelers wanted it to. But we can talk about this more later. I didn't really love what the team did at linebacker, inside linebacker, especially this offseason. But so I don't know about number one. You got the Patriots, you got the Dolphins, teams like that that look really formidable on defense. The Jets, too. That whole AFC East is, is really good on defense. But, yeah, I think the Steelers defense should be a pretty plus unit, especially with Peterson this year. Yeah, and don't forget about the team the Steelers have to face off against in week one, mm-hmm. the San Francisco 49ers. That defense looking pretty stacked as well again. Um, I, w- I was looking at some total team EPA per play um, uh, just recently, and the 49ers just blew everybody out of the water on yep. defense. Um, the Steelers were like 14th overall um, by the end of the season, um, and you know the offense had kind of actually made a jump, and they were – fourth overall uh in weeks 10 through 18 at the end of the year so um i made the argument on twitter earlier uh, kind of a hot take that the steelers offense was actually better than the defense in the second half of of the season so i don't know maybe we'll get some comments on that today but 
I, I, you know, we'll see how this defense puts it together. It's going to depend a lot on health, and um, you're going to have to hope that these guys can stay healthy. Here's another question from Vinny. It says, how many points per game do you think the offense should average to help out the defense? Uh, more than 18, Bradley. <laughs> <laughs> more than 18 this year, um, and I think they will. Uh, but I also think that this offense is is going to be designed to shorten games and chew clock. And, you know, they might not – they're not going to be a 30 points per game offense, even if they're really efficient, I wouldn't think. Um, but if that efficiency goes up, if their red zone um, a- attempts turn into more touchdowns, and they should with the weapons that they've got, you know, this is this is put up or shut up for Matt Canada this year. And, and for, um, you know, I, I wouldn't say anybody necessarily – a player, but if Matt Canada can't can't scheme guys open in the in the end zone uh, now, then uh, what are you going to do with with the basketball team that they've put around Kenny Pickett here? Um, so obviously you've got to have execution and all that. But I'm going to go ahead and throw out a number here, Bradley, that I don't think is is hard to it is like too much of a stretch for them to get to. But I'm going to say 23 points a game, and you know that that to me looks like. That that to me puts you in in AFC North division winning contention. If you're if you're putting up 23 points a game and your defense, obviously you're looking at holding teams well under 20 points a game. Maybe a, maybe getting other teams to that 18 point mark. That'd be great. Um, but what do you think here, uh, Bradley? What's a what's a reasonable number here that the Steelers' offense would need to do to complement the defense enough to to be really good? I think 23 is generally pretty fair. That would have ranked right around 13th or 14th in the NFL last year. And I think, again, for the Steelers, you want to be probably around a top 10 to 15 offense is probably the goal for this year in terms of not only EPA per play success rate, which, as we both know, the Steelers actually excelled in the second half of the year. But also, again, actually turning that efficiency into points was a big struggle last year. And, I feel again, the red zone numbers were not great. I believe the Steelers were in basically the bottom quadrant in – uh, red zone conversion rate and things like that. But yeah, I think around 23 sounds pretty reasonable. And again, if you're, if you're scoring 23 points a game, anywhere from three to four touchdowns a game, um, I don't think it's going to be a Chiefs type of offense where it's just totally humming and, and there are no hiccups, no turnovers, things like that. But again, I, I think as you talked about with Canada, he has basically everything he one would think he would need to run a successful offense, a very sound offensive line, a much improved and deeper offensive line. Um, two really good receivers, and there's been a lot of discourse about Deontay Johnson, but the yeah. tape doesn't lie. The numbers don't uh, – well, the advanced numbers don't lie that he's a very good receiver. The touchdown production might tell you otherwise, but touchdown production is a whole separate conversation. But uh, you have a really good running back in Najee Harris, who I can talk about Harris for a long time and why I think he's going to be in for a really big year this year. But, um, yeah, I do think it's, it's, it's definitely time for Canada's unit to show – the capability that it has. And a lot of it is definitely on designs and things like that. But I actually think the Steelers offense found, as you said, kind of an identity in the second half of last year, a little bit more ball control. It's not necessarily a bad strategy, um, but I do think, again, if, if you can't put the ball in the end zone and you have the ball for 15 plays, it's pretty demoralizing for your defense that, oh, this we were off the field for 10 minutes and they only gave us three points. Um, so I feel like, again, it's, it's more about explosive plays this year. And a lot of our BTSC writers have written about that more about play action and, and things like that uh, and getting more chunk plays. And um, that'll help the entire offense and especially Kenny Pickett's stats and, and other receivers too. But yeah, I think 23 is probably a solid goal. I don't know if the Steelers have a number in mind, but probably go somewhere in that ballpark too. Yeah. Um, 
it's Fourth of July weekend here. Fourth of July is coming up on Tuesday. There's going to be lots of fireworks, I'd assume, in people's schedule uh, here coming up. There better be some fireworks on the Steelers' schedule this next year uh, from this team as well. Getting, like you said, some of those explosive plays to complement what should be a, a very, um, a very good clock-turning offense. Then, uh, if you combine those two together, then maybe you're hitting what we're talking about here, and this team could take a step forward in a big way. We're going to take a quick break for those listening uh, later on audio, but for those here on YouTube, just stick around. We will be right back. Don't go anywhere. The Steelers Q&A is coming back. And we're still here. We're back on the Steelers Q&A Sunday night, having a good time with Bradley Locker talking some Steelers football here. I've got another question that um, I just pulled up the list here, and uh, I'll read them off. Uh, Bradley, um, I don't know how familiar you familiar you are with the list of Steelers undrafted rookies um but so I'll go ahead and read them off here just for those listening to have an idea we've got a quarterback in Tanner Morgan out of Minnesota um David Perales linebacker out of Fresno State Fresno State excuse me and just by the way I'm terrible with names so this could be the worst butcher job you've ever heard but you get the idea um James and Yama and Yamwea <laughs> out of Merrimack defensive end uh, Monte Potabom out of uh, Iowa a guy you might be familiar with um, Bradley uh, Jordan Bird thank you very much for an easy name uh, wide receiver out of San Diego State BT Potter kicker out of Clemson Trevor Downing center out of Iowa State uh, Toby Dukeway out of Sam Houston State a linebacker and then Alfonso Graham he's been getting kind of the most talk of any of these guys running back Morgan State do any of these guys stand out to you, uh, Bradley, as uh, potentially being able to surprise us? Is it Alfonso, Alfonso Graham or is it somebody else? I think Graham, as you said, has been getting the most buzz among, among Steelers writers and sounds like he has a pretty cool story and is definitely motivated to make the team. But just frankly, I mean, being an undrafted free agent, a lot of the odds are stacked against you and it's not really common for the Steelers to bring in a lot of UDFAs on the actual roster. I mean, obviously, Jalen Warren was a real success story last year and I, I'm very bullish on his abilities too. I mean, his pass protection, the way he finishes runs uh, through contact, his explosiveness and acceleration. Um, I think he's a really good RB2. And that's very tough to find in the NFL, let alone for somebody you didn't even draft. So yep. don't know that I would expect anybody to have a Jalen Warren type of UDFA rookie season for the Steelers. But a name that really intrigued me is probably BT Potter. Um, not that I think the Steelers would part ways with Chris Boswell, because I think that would defy most organizational logic that committed to him for the long term. But Boswell was just not great last year um, in terms of converting some of the kicks. And I feel like the Steelers record, even at nine and eight, could have been a little better. Not only if the offense put the ball in the end zone more, but if Boswell converted some of those kicks that the Steelers were counting on him to make. And I don't know if he was 100 percent for the entire year. I believe he dealt with a hip injury. Um, but Potter was a pretty big time guy at Clemson. Um, obviously been in a lot of high stakes games with the Tigers. And I feel like if Boswell does not get off to a great start in the preseason or in training camp, could open the door for somebody to like like Potter to not necessarily win the kicking job, but at least make things interesting for the Steelers. I know punting, probably a similar situation after the Steelers brought in Trey Mann, former Jets punter. And again, I don't think the Steelers are going to move on from either Presley Harvin or Chris Boswell. But if you're looking for a possible entryway, mm -hmm. I feel like BT Potter could possibly get some time and maybe at the very least stay on as practice squad type of guy. Yeah, he's an interesting player to watch for sure. And Chris Boswell, it flew under the radar a little bit with the offensive struggles uh, overall, but 
had his worst season since the debacle of 2018, <laughs> mm-hmm. where many fans were like, this guy needs to be gone. And then he had such an amazing bounce back. Um, we'll see if he can bounce back again in, in 2023. Uh, here's hoping because he's a, he's a huge part of this team. And when you can rely on him putting up three, then um, it takes some pressure off of you as an offense for sure. Um, I, I, I just think, you know, Alfonso Graham, I'm going to just stick with him because he brings a speed element that the other two guys we talk about in the Steelers rotation don't really have like that, that fifth gear, (laughs) you know what I mean? And, Mm -hmm. um, Jalen Warren is, is quick, powerful, twitchy. Um, but he doesn't have that, that next gear either. He's not necessarily the home run hitter, um, that you, that Alfonso Graham could be. So, you know, I'm, it's going to be hard for him to see the field, even as an RB three, unless there's an injury, but um, you know, he's got a shot to show some explosiveness. You got to like his enthusiasm and and his style of play. I think the Steelers will be uh, excited to watch him um, get better and, and show what he can do in training camp, which by the way, it's July training camp starts this month. People it's coming. It's, it's crazy that it's already almost here. Uh, looking forward to it. Here's a good question from Russ Obenstein. He uh, confirmed that I got it right the first time, which is great because I hardly ever get names right the first time. So I'm feeling myself tonight a little bit. Guys, if O-line makes improvement, can Najee get 1,300 on the ground? Bradley, this is a tall ask, but uh, especially with a a guy in Jalen Warren that's going to split carries with him. But with how run heavy we expect this offense to be, uh, does it make sense? 1,300 on the ground for Najee at a higher – um, yards per carry clip maybe uh, than we've seen in previous years. Does that sound like something that he can pull off in 2023? I think that's definitely pretty reasonable. I mean, his rookie year, he had 1,200 yards on 307 attempts. And I think one of the big criticisms of Najee so far has been not only his efficiency, neither year in his two years in the NFL has he been over four yards a carry, but also uh, the advanced stats, he was below average and rushing yards over expected. So if you we're given the exact same rushing lane for, I think, an average running back. What would he get? And Najee was, again, subpar in that category. But I feel like, it, and I have to see how it would break down week by week, but I feel like early in the early part of the season, Najee had that foot injury in training camp last year, I believe had a foot or a plate put into, I think it was his shoe, like a steel plate yeah. in his shoe that uh, he did not look like himself in the first half of the year. His vision was definitely um, subpar compared to what we've seen from Najee. He didn't look as, as good on the first step and in terms of, making decisions and cuts and things like that. And it feels like in the second half, he definitely flipped the switch a little bit. It was a lot tougher to bring down running with a more aggressive and, uh, I guess, organized rushing style that he saw the hole, he attacked the hole, and oftentimes broke a tackle along the way. So the fact that Harris was able to get over a 1,000 yards last year, um, again, the touchdown production, only seven in his first in each of his first two seasons. And I believe he's the first running back since Chris Johnson, according to some of the past research I've done, to have – 270 carries in two straight seasons and have no more than seven touchdowns. Um, so again, I feel like you'd expect him to maybe get fewer carries this year. Again, with the emergence of somebody like Warren, but I think 1300 yards is probably what I'm expecting. I'm expecting him to finish as a top 10 running back in the NFL this year, and not just fantasy wise in terms of people's rankings. I feel like there is some room open in that conversation. A guy like Jonathan Taylor did not have a great year last year. We know how talented he is. Um, uh, again, Travis Etienne, another kind of same type of conversation. Will he make the jump? But the fact that Harris has been over a thousand yards his first two years, the fact that the Steelers significantly upgraded their offensive line will hopefully be more balanced this year, face fewer stacked boxes, things like that. Mm. 
and will have an actually good RB2 behind him and one that teams have to fear as well, I feel like is only going to help his case to be a more efficient runner and to have a better season overall. I like it. Give me your um, – I'll give you this first. Um, the Steelers had 500 carries uh, in 2022 for 2,073 yards – and that ranked 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 31, 15, 16, 17th in the league last year. Okay. Sorry for my slow math there. Uh, 17th in the league. Uh, do they eclipse that this year or do they fall under? Is this an, what's your over under here uh, of the 2073 that the Steelers got in total rushing as a team last year? I will say over. I think Warren has more consistent production this year. Again, I think Najee will make a jump and start to really turn some heads. And also, don't discount, I think, some more jet sweeps from a guy like Calvin Austin, some more reverses. We know he has a lot of speed. Gunnar Olszewski has some good speed, too, assuming he stays on the roster. Um, even a guy like Allen Robinson can maybe take a jet sweep in the end zone or something like that. So I feel like that number is probably going to go up with just a better offensive line and, again, an offense that I think is going to be more productive overall. Yeah, and don't forget Kenny Pickett and his athleticism. Mm -hmm. I think that was kind of the the push here. Uh, with I think he had almost 300 yards rushing uh, last year in in a not a full season sample size. So um, maybe the team wants him to stick in the pocket a little bit more in 2023. Uh, but also, Mike Tomlin has preached for years, especially in the latter uh, days of. Uh, Ben Roethlisberger about quarterback mobility and how it's a major factor in today's game mm -hmm. and using it uh, uh, wisely um, is, is a huge factor. And with Kenny Pickett, um, you know, that's just, that's a part of his game. You got to accept it as a, as the Steelers coaching staff. And yeah, you want him to stick in the pocket a little more, but I think he helps with this rushing stat too. I'm going to take the over. I think they uh, beat that. I think they could be a top 10 rushing offense this year. Uh, I think that that would probably put them in a, in a place where they want to be as a team uh, based on the offseason moves that we've seen. Speaking of offseason moves, Jeremiah Yoder has a good question here. Uh, Bradley, you and I, neither one of us were around for this 1974 draft, but it is uh, quite incredible, um, the statistics to come out of it. Um, Jeremiah is asking basically that he's wondering if the 2023 draft class, which has gotten some clout as – as being equal to the the holy grail of draft classes that is the 1974 class i don't know that i'd put it there specifically uh obviously that none of these guys have played it down yet at the nfl level but I, I would say that i was very hyped for this draft class i think that when you talk about omar khan uh getting talent uh at value picks, I think that that was amazing. I like the the maneuvering he did to acquire specific players, uh, whether that was trading up in the first round to land Broderick Jones or trading down uh, in the in the late third round to get um, Darnell Washington. Great moves. It seemed like mm -hmm. the Steelers had a plan. They executed it. They got the players in that they wanted. I have high hopes for this class, but I'm not putting it up there with 1974 <laughs> yet. Bradley, you concur? I definitely concur. I mean, there's again that draft class produced four Hall of Famers, four of the four of the best players in Steelers history. So uh, it's far too premature to say anything like that. And again, I feel like with draft class evaluations, you have to give it at least two to three years before you make any substantive conclusions. In 2020, it looked like the Steelers had one of the best draft classes in the NFL. They got Chase Claypool, they got Kevin Dotson, they got uh, Kendrick Green, I believe too. And everyone thought, oh my gosh, this draft class is just going to be sensational. 
And now we look back three years later and kind of think retrospectively, maybe it wasn't as good as we thought. And again, you could blame the players for that. You could blame the scheme addicts for that. But I just don't know that uh, we can really fairly evaluate a draft class until time has passed. But again, I think it was a really good draft class overall. Maybe my only criticisms would be trying to get Christian Gonzalez and Joey Porter Jr. I feel like every single pick that passed, I, I was watching with my friend. I would just scream at him like, Omar Khan, you need to get on the phone. Go trade back up for Christian Gonzalez. <laughs> yes. Because I thought for sure he was going to be a top six pick in this draft. Oh, and I thought his tape established that too. But I can't complain with, with really what Omar Khan did. Maybe attacking inside linebacker again, which I thought was kind of a vulnerability on the defense already. But again, it wasn't a really strong inside linebacker class. Maybe a guy like Dorian Williams, who's now with the Bills. He might actually start for the Bills with no more Tremaine admins. But yes. Um, Maybe if you wanted a sleeper type like Henry Toa Toa, I didn't love him out of Bama, but maybe he sees some snaps with the Texans and D'Amico Ryans. But besides inside linebacker and Christian Gonzalez, I didn't have too many uh, nitpicks with this draft class. But yeah, not not close to 1974, at least not yet. Yeah, yeah, I agree, uh, 100% agree with you. And, um, you know, that I was sitting there doing the same thing. It's like, you've got these two second round picks. Let's jump up and get Christian Gonzalez. He's yeah. still falling. Um, but the Patriots had a good draft to um, land in him there. So uh, definitely a player that, that uh, we'll see. Did the Steelers miss out on one or did they make the right move in trading up for their offensive tackle? Um, I wanted to kind of go back to our, uh, our top topic that we were talking about to start the show before I answer We answer a couple more questions here. Um, Cause you were talking to offensive line a little bit. Oh, let me pose this to you, Bradley, and see what your thought is. Um, Mason Cole goes down with a mm. with a big injury and he's going to miss a lot of time. It, could he be a Jenga piece on this offensive line um if you're now relying on like Kendrick Green? I don't he probably is not the first option to come in at center. You probably get um somebody else to do that. Maybe maybe Nate Herbig can do it. I don't know what what their plan is there. Um if if you lose Mason Cole, but I don't know if if it's Kendrick Green coming in is the rest of the offensive line good enough to kind of cover something like that up? Or could he be a piece that you lose Mason Cole and, and Kenny Pickett starts to get a little nervous uh, behind that offensive line? What do you think? I think it's it's definitely, I don't know, with Cole, he's kind of a player I'm a little bit torn on because he did have some bright spots last year. It seems like he has good camaraderie with the rest of the team that he had an immediate bond with Kenny Pickett and, and seemed to nurture him into the NFL, but at the same time, he definitely left some plays to be desired, did not always execute all of his blocks. And I actually thought center would be a position the Steelers would consider upgrading this offseason because I believe yeah. Cole will be a free agent after this upcoming year. He was not really a high-prized guy when he came over from the Vikings, had always been kind of a backup, and now has finally got, gotten a chance to start with the Steelers. Um, but I think if Cole goes down, I would say probably James Daniels slides over to center. I believe he played center at Iowa, if I'm not mistaken. And then you can insert a guy like Herbig at right guard. So you probably want to maximize your talent. I feel like there are very few situations in which Green would see the field, quite honestly, after the disaster that was his rookie year in in uh, 21. But I think Cole, I don't know if he's as much of, of an indispensable player to the offensive line as someone like Daniels is at right guard, very quietly one of the better guards in the league last year and has been really a steady player over his entire time. Still very young, too. So I feel like if Daniels goes down, that's a big problem. And, yeah, you have Herbig, who, who's pretty versatile, could play left guard, right guard. Um, but I think if Daniels goes down, there there would be a lot of concern compared to somebody like Cole. Sure. Um, I, I agree with you there. It's, it's just, you know, this offensive line, I think the depth is better this year. 
Um, but they got to gel together and they're probably not going to have the same injury luck that they had last year. I mean, that was almost unprecedented for all of those guys to play. I think the only person who missed a snap was Chooks Okorafor (laughs) for the majority of the season. Yeah. So uh, unbelievable stuff there that the Steelers had in 2022. Um, Too bad it wasn't with better players overall. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, All right. This is, this is a good question. Um, Does anyone know anything about offensive assistant hired? Uh, I think he's talking about Glenn Thomas, right? Yes. Um, That the Steelers hired. Are you familiar with him, Bradley at all? Um, not a ton. I'm hoping to dive into some of what he does more as the, as before the season goes along, but I know our own KT Smith did a good breakdown of him and it sounds like it's attacking more of the middle of the field. And in some of the early research I did on him, I believe he was at uh, Arizona and I want to say San Diego state too, but I know at least one player had said that he had kind of opened his eye to watching film as nobody else had before. Um, so I feel like, again, it's a good hire as an offensive assistant. A lot of people wanted to bring in like a Byron Leftwich type to, help Matt Canada because he seemed to figure out the running game. I actually really liked some of the concepts he used to build off one another, some complimentary looks with the split zone. He would have motion, but then have different uh, looks off of that. I actually did think he, he did a good job with that. But again, the route combinations were really not where they should have been. A lot of times just attacking one spot on the field, not a lot of confusion for defenses, not a lot of eye candy or pick plays, things like that. Um, so I feel like, again, Thomas could could very well be the offensive coordinator in 2024 if, if Canada is not kept. Um, and I feel like I'm interested to see what the two of them do together because they're pretty longtime college coaches looking to transition their talents to the pro level for sure. Yeah, from what I gathered, uh, he's kind of coming in to help with the passing game, like you mentioned, mm-hmm. um, kind of on a, on a much lesser scale, be the uh, Brian Flores um, uh, for Matt Canada that uh, Terrell Austin had last year, um, you know, just kind of helping with different aspects to – uh, add a different line of thinking and maybe, um, you know, boost, boost the efficiency of it in a, in a specific area. So, yeah, I, I agree with you though, Matt Canada struggles and, you know, the Steelers might've brought in a guy to um, replace him down the road. Um, I think you've got to give, you know, uh, Mike Sullivan, a, a probably a, an interview there as well, if things go sour, but um, that's a good question. Uh, go check out, KT Smith's uh, work on that. I think it's on behindthesteelcurtain.com. If I remember correctly, he did a he did a piece on Glenn Thomas. Good question there uh, from Russ. Looking through, see if we got some more questions yeah. here. It's actually Arizona, Arizona State and UNLV. I knew it was somewhere out west, but I wanted to make sure I got the schools right. Okay, gotcha. Yep, good deal. Good quick research there. Yep. <laughs> All right, Vinny's got another question for us. Is this going to be a top five defense this year? Will it be like 2021 when we couldn't stop the run? Let's focus on the weakness side of this since we've already covered whether or not we think there will be a, a top a top unit in the league. They have the we've established they have the ability to, but maybe not necessarily number one overall, something like that. Uh, what's the what's the potential weakness here, um, Bradley? Is it is it stopping the run or is it something else? Is it covering tight ends with this linebacker group? Uh, what do you think? I think you really hit the nail on the head. I think it's the linebacker group and especially coverage with the linebackers. It was a big problem last year, quite honestly, in the Steelers defense with uh, Devin Bush, Miles, Jack Roberts, Blaine, and really none of them was very good in terms of coverage. And it would especially be on RPOs where the run would be faked and then all of a sudden the the linebackers would be kind of sucked into the middle of the play, run a slant or a dig right behind them, and then all of a sudden it would be an easy five to ten yards almost every single time it happened. And it feels like the Steelers did – not really try to address it or notice it as a flaw in their coaching throughout the season. 
And then I, again, I think coverage linebacker was one of the biggest needs this off season besides helping the offensive line, besides getting another cornerback, especially a young cornerback. And I just don't really know if Cole Holcomb or Landon Roberts is going to be able to improve in that area. Neither one of them has really been touted as a coverage linebacker. The Steelers could have gotten someone like Jack Campbell from Iowa in the draft if they really wanted to help that area, maybe even like a Drew Sanders. Um, so I, I'm very skeptical of that and hoping to see some some better results there. But if offenses have watched tape on the Steelers' opponents last year, they're going to see that the middle of the field was open a lot of the times, and that's because of the uh, shaky coverage from linebackers. Yeah, I get. I absolutely get where you're from, coming from. I think, <coughs> excuse me, the uh, Steelers kind of designed this this defense for the AFC North, and I know you've got Mark Andrews there, but. Irv Smith doesn't scare you, <laughs> you know, in, in Cincinnati and uh, in Joku. Um, and I mean, he went I mean, off against the Steelers last year, though. That's true. Yeah, he's had some good games. Um, but, the you know, uh, the guys make plays on, on the edges in um, or on the outside in uh, Cincinnati with um, Jamar Chase uh, and T. Higgins out there. Uh, you've got these these mobile quarterbacks as well Uh, even joe burrow has good mobility about deshaun watson lamar jackson the linebackers that they picked excellent rushers um uh, you know keeping contain kind of being able to get sideline to sideline to to spy these quarterbacks maybe maybe that was the play here but you're right they're they're sacrificing something uh in order to go with with that type of look so we'll see how it all plays out but I don't think stopping the run is going to be necessarily the weakness of this team. There's some thoughts that it would be that, but the plays that they made as far as bringing in players, uh, if anything, it was more lean towards guys that actually do stop the run as opposed to guys that help in coverage a lot. And um, even Keanu Benton, you know, he's got pass rush upside, but he's, he's going to play nose tackle. He's going to probably be asked more to fill gaps and stop the run. Um, that's going to be kind of his calling card, especially as a rookie while the team develops those other parts of him. Um, let's get to one more question here before we uh, try to close it out, wrap things up. Sherry Richards asked, what impact does Monte KZ make hopefully playing a full year? Um, I think the safety group is very interesting. It's going to be a position group to watch in training camp. Um, in the preseason. I know they're not going to show their, their full hand here, but how often um, DeMonte Casey, Minka Fitzpatrick and Keanu Neal are all on the field together <laughs> from the reports that we see out of training camp. It's going to tell us a lot about maybe the schematics that the Steelers are going to try to use on the back end here. And uh, it's, I think KZ has been underrated as a player throughout his, his NFL career. Um, and he's getting a little older, but uh, if he's healthy, Bradley, does he make, a, a good impact on this team. Uh, do he and Keanu kneel together, uh, eliminate the loss of, of Terrell Edmonds, or is this a, a unit that's going to need some transition time? I feel like I'm skewing more toward the transition time, just because I think again, Edmonds was a really, really underrated value of this defense. I mean, he basically did everything they asked of him. He covered pretty well, was really good down in the box was even sometimes used to rush the passer and make tackles down low too. And again, I feel like Neil is probably going to be tasked with doing more of that, but he's had some injury concerns in the past. Edmonds 
has been a very durable player and he's also more athletic and a little bit younger. But I think what's what's appealing about KZ is that he's really just known for being a ball hawk. And that's exactly what Minka Fitzpatrick is too, on top of being a very well-rounded safety. But KZ just had two interceptions last year and only playing nine games starting four. And I feel like we saw glimpses of his talent, had some clutch plays for the Steelers as well. He just has kind of a knack for finding the ball and, and that's going to fit well with Fitzpatrick, but maybe we might see Fitzpatrick play more in the middle of the field. You like KZ kind of be that true free safety in the center fielder, especially the Steelers liked running. Their favorite play was cover three buzz on defense, which meant that one of the safeties would go back. The other one kind of play more of the middle hook area of the field. So maybe we see Minko play the robber role of sorts and KZ play back a little bit more this year. But you're right. I think KZ has been a guy that teams have liked for a long time. I mean, Dan Quinn had a pension for him, clearly brought him over to Dallas with him after playing with him in Atlanta. And a guy that definitely has talent, whether or not he's able to tackle better and if he's able to stay healthy, as you said, because, again, he had an injury to, for the bulk of last year. It's going to be fascinating to monitor. But I feel like probably going to be a little bit of a transition in the secondary overall. No sudden, obviously, and losing Edmonds, too. Um, but I feel like if everything comes together as planned, then there shouldn't be too much um, too much in terms of things that have been lost in the Steelers secondary this year. I like it, Bradley. And as always, your analysis, uh, very spot on. Appreciate you joining me this week, man. And um, tell us a little bit about what you've got going on as we wrap things up here, what you're doing for uh, Behind the Steel Curtain. Uh, you got any other podcast appearances on the on the docket? And uh, tell us a little bit about what you got going on for um, the Northwestern site and tell us what that site is. I, I don't know off the top of my head. Yeah, well, I'll start with the Northwestern side of things. It's inside NU, two words. That's We're right. a Northwestern's SB Nation site. So always have fresh content coming out. Uh, some July 4th theme stories that are in the works on uh, the next few days. Uh, really, every Wildcats where we try to cover earnestly. And Wildcats won the Women's Lacrosse National Championship. So lots yeah. of uh, fun stuff with that that we've done. Um, but in terms of Steelers stuff, actually working on something tonight about how the Steelers can have some better pass looks out of 13 personnel with three tight ends, maybe a Pat Frymuth, Darnell Washington, Connor Hayward type of situation, because it can be pretty effective when all three of them are on the field. So uh, trying to find some unique lanes and, and Steelers coverage and uh, lots of time before training camp starts. Also hoping to do some feature stories as well. So be sure to stay tuned for all of that. But Always appreciate having me on and being able to share uh, some of my thoughts on the Steelers, which are very frequent in my own head, but good to get to uh, <laughs> enunciate them with somebody who's like-minded as well. Absolutely, man. Thanks again. And thank you to all of our viewers, listeners, uh, for making this show possible. Um, your your questions, your comments, they drive this Steelers Sunday night Q&A. We'll be back next week. Don't know the guests yet. We'll uh, have that for you next week so it'll be a surprise but uh bradley again thank you so much for joining that's going to do it for us here on the steel curtain networks steelers sunday night q a where we talked official steelers well official uh from me and bradley steelers jenga pieces for 2023 and a host of other topics thank you guys all we'll see you next week on the steelers sunday night q a